Welcome back to Rejects Book Club, where Constance, aka me, reads you a chapter a day. The Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle. Chapter 2. The nine black wagons of the Midnight Carnival seem smaller by daylight and not menacing at all, but flimsy and fragile as dead leaves. Their draperies were gone and they were now adorned with sad black banners cut from blankets and stubby black ribbons that twitched in the breeze. They were arranged strangely in a scrubby field, a pentacle of cages enclosing a triangle and Mommy Fortuna's wagon lumping in the center. This cage alone retained its black veil, concealing whatever it contained. Mommy Fortuna was nowhere to be seen. The man named Ruck was leading a straggling crowd of country folk slowly from one cage to the next, commenting somberly on the beast within. This here is the manticore, man's head, lion's body, tail of a scorpion, captured at midnight, eating werewolves to sweeten its breath. Creatures of night brought to light. Here's the dragon, breathes fire now and then, usually at people who poke at it, little boy. It's inside its own inferno but its skin is so cold it burns. The dragon speaks 17 languages badly and is subject to gout. The satyr, ladies keep back, a real troublemaker. Captured under curious circumstances, revealed only to gentlemen for a token fee after the show. Creatures of night. Standing by the unicorn's cage, which was one of the inner three, the tall magician watched the procession proceeding around the pentacle. I shouldn't be here, he said to the unicorn. The old woman warned me to stay away from you, he chuckled pleasantly. She has mocked me from the day I joined her, but I've made her nervous in all that time. The unicorn hardly heard him. She turned and turned in her prison, her body shrinking from the touch of the iron bars all around her. No creature of man's night loves cold iron. And while the unicorn could endure its presence, the murderous smell of it seemed to turn her bones to sand and her blood to rain. The bars of her cage must have had some sort of spell on them. They never stopped whispering evilly to one another in clawed, pattering voices. The heavy lock giggled and whined like a mad monkey. Tell me what you see, said the magician, as Moim Fortuna had said to him. Look at your fellow legends and tell me what you see. Ruck's iron voice came clanging in through the waning afternoon. Gatekeeper of the underworld, three heads and a healthy coat of vipers, as you can see. Last seen above ground in the time of Hercules, who dragged him up under one arm. But we lured him here again with the promise of a better life. Cerebus. Look at those six cheated red eyes. You may look at them again one day. This way to the Miggard Serpent. This way. The unicorn stared through the bars at the animals in the cage. Her eyes were wide with disbelief. It's only a dog, she whispered. It's hungry, unhappy dog. And with only one head, hardly any coat at all, the poor thing. How could they ever take it for Cerebus? Are they all blind? Look again said the magician. And the satyr, the unicorn continued. The satyr is an ape, an old ape with a twisted foot. 
The dragon is a crocodile, much more likely to breathe fish than fire. And the great manticore is a lion, a perfectly good lion, but no more monstrous than the other. I don't understand. It's got the whole world in its coils, Rook was droning. And once more, the magician said, look again. Then, as, her, as though her eyes were getting used to darkness, the unicorn began to perceive a second figure in each cage. They loomed hugely over the captives of the Midnight Carnival, and yet they were joined to them. Stormy dreams sprung from the grain of truth. So there was a manticore, famine-eyed, slobbered mouth, roaring, curving his deadly tail over his back until the poison spine lulled and nodded just above his ear. And there was a lion, too, tiny and absurd in comparison. Yet, they were the same creature. The unicorn stamped in wonder. It was so in all the other cages. The shadow dragon opened his mouth and hissed harmless fire to make the gaspers gasp and cringe, while hell snake feared watchdog howled triple dooms and devastations down on his betrayers, and the satyr limped, leering into the bars and beckoning young girls to impossible delights, right there in public. As for the crocodile, the ape, and the sad dog, they faded steadily before the marvelous phantoms until they were only shadows themselves, even the unicorns undeceive eyes. This is strange sorcery, she said softly. There's more meaning to magic than this. The magician laughed with pleasure and great relief. Well said, well said indeed. I knew the horror wouldn't dazzle you with her two-penny spells. His voice grew hard and secret. She's made a third mistake now, he said. That's at least two too many more for a tired old trickster like herself. The time draws near, Rook was telling the crowd, as though he had overheard the magician. Ragnarok, on that day, when the gods fall, the serpent of the Midgard will spit a storm of venom at great Thor himself till he tumbles over like a poison fly. And so he waits for judgment day and dreams about the part he'll play. It may be so, I couldn't say. Creatures of the night brought to light. The cage was filled with snake. There was no head to it, no tail. Nothing but a wave of tarnished darkness rolling from one end of the cage to the other, leaving no room for anything but its own thunderous breathing. Only the unicorn saw, coiled in a corner, a baleful boa, brooding, perhaps, over its own judgment on the midnight carnival. But it was tiny and dim, and the ghost of a worm in the serpent's shadow. A wandering gawk up his hand, struck and demanded of Ruck. If this big snake do be coiled around the world, as you say, how come you to be having a piece of it in your wagon? And if it can shatter a sea by stretching itself, what's to keep it from crawling off and wearing your whole show like a necklace? There were murmurs of agreement, and some of the murmurs began to back away warily. I'm glad you asked me that, friend, Ruck said with a scowl. It just so happens that the Migger Serpent exists in another space from our own, another dimension. Normally, therefore, he's invisible, but dragged into our world, as Thor hooked him once. He shows clear as lightning, which also visits us from somewhere else, where it might look quite different. And naturally, he might turn nasty if he knew that a bit of his tummy slack 
was on view daily, Sundays in Mommy Fortuna's Midnight Carnival. But he didn't know. He's got other things to think about than what becomes of his belly button. And we take our chances, as do you all, on his continued tranquility. He rolled and stretched the last word like dough, and his hearers laughed carefully. Spells of seeming, the unicorn said. She cannot make things, nor truly change them, added the magician. Her shabby skill lies in disguise, and even that knack would be beyond her if it weren't for the eagerness of those gulls, those marks, to believe whatever comes easiest. She can't turn cream into butter, but she can give a lion the semblance of a manticore to eyes that want to see a manticore there, eyes that would take a real manticore for a lion, a dragon for a lizard, and the meager serpent for an earthquake, and a unicorn for a white mare. The unicorn halted in her slow, desperate round of the cage, realizing for the first time that the magician understood her speech. He smiled, and she saw that his face was frighteningly young for a grown man, untraveled by time, unvisited by grief of wisdom. I know you, he said. The bars whispered wickedly between them. Rook was leading the crowd to the inner cages now. The unicorn asked the tall man, who are you? I am Smendrick the magician, he answered. You won't have heard of me. The unicorn came very near to explaining that it was hardly for her to have heard of one wizard or another, but something sad and valiant in his voice kept her from it. The magician said, I entertain the sightseers as they gather for the show. Miniature magic, sleight of hand, flowers to flags, flags to fish, all accompanied by persuasive patter and a suggestion that I could work more ominous if I wanted to. It's not much of a job, but I've had worse, and I'll have a better one one day. This is not the end. But the sound of his voice made the unicorn feel as though she was trapped forever, and once more she began pacing her cage, moving to keep her heart from bursting with the terror of being closed in. Ruck was standing before the cage that contained nothing but a small brown spider weaving a modest web across the bars. Arachne of Lydia, he told the cloud, guaranteed the greatest weaver in the world. Her fate's the proof of it. She had the bad luck to defeat the goddess Athena in a weaving contest. Athena was a sore loser, and Arachne is now a spider, creating only for Mommy Fortuna's Midnight Carnival by special arrangement. Warp of snow, wool of flame, and never any two the same. Arachne. Strung on the loom of the iron bars, the web was very simple and almost colorless, except for an occasional rainbow shiver when the spire scuttled out onto it and put a thread right. But it drew the onlooker's eyes, and the unicorn's eyes as well, back and forth and steadily deeper, until they seemed to be looking down into the great rifts of the world black fissures that widen remorsefully, yet would not fall to pieces as long as Arachne's web held the world together. The unicorn shook herself free with a sigh and saw the real web again. It was very simple, almost colorless. It isn't like the others, she said. No, Smendrick agreed grudgingly. But there's no credit due to Mommy Fortuna for that, you see. The spider believes... She sees those cats' cradles herself and thinks them her own work. 
Belief makes all the difference to magic, like Mommy Fortuna's. Why, if that troop of witlings withdrew their wonder, there'd be nothing left of her witchery but that sound of the spider weeping. And nobody would hear it. The unicorn did not want to look at the web again. She glanced at the cage closest to her own and suddenly felt the breath in her body turning cold iron. There sat on an oaken perch, a creature with the body of a great bronze bird and a hag's face, clenched and deadly as the talons which she was gripped with the wood. She had the shaggy round ears of a bear, but down her scaly shoulders, mingling with the bright knives of her plumage, there fell hair the color of moonlight, thick and youthful around a hating human face. She glittered, but to look at her was to feel the light going out of the sky. Catching sight of the unicorn, she made a queer sound like a hiss or a chuckle together, the unicorn said quietly, this one is real. This is the harpy Salerno. I don't know how to say that word. Salerno, okay, Salerno. Smendrick's face had gone the color of oatmeal. The woman caught her by chance, he whispered, asleep, and she took you. But it was an ill fortune, and they both knew it. Mommy Fortuna's craft, is just sure enough to hold the monster, but its mere presence is wearing all her spells so thin that in a little time, she won't have the power enough to fry an egg. She should have never done it, never meddled with a real harpy, a real unicorn. The truth melts her magic, always, but she cannot keep from trying to make it serve her. But this time, sister of Rainbow, believe it or not, they heard Rug braying to the awed onlookers, her name means the dark one, and one whose wing blackened the sky before a storm. She and her two sweet sisters nearly starved the King Phineas to death by snatching and befouling his food before he could eat it. But the sons of the North Wind made them quit that, didn't they, my beauty? The harpy made no sound, but Rook grinned like a cage himself. She put up a fiercer fight than all the others put together, he went on. It was like trying to bind all hell with her hair. But Mommy Fortuna's powers are great enough for even that. Creatures of the night brought to light. Polly want a cracker? Few in the crowd laughed. The harpy's talons tightened on her perch until the wood cried out. You'll need to be free when she frees herself, the magician said. She mustn't catch you. I dare not touch the iron, the unicorn replied. My horn could open the lock, but I cannot reach it. I cannot get out. She was trembling with horror of the harpy, but her voice was quite calm. Smendrick the magician drew himself up several inches taller than unicorn would have thought possible. Fear nothing, he began grandly. For all my air of mystery, I have a feeling heart. But he was interrupted by the approach of Ruck and his followers, grown quieter, and the grubby gang who had giggled at the manicure. The magician fled, calling back softly. Don't be afraid. Smendrick is with you. Do nothing till you hear from me. His voice drifted to the unicorn, so faint and lonely that she was not sure whether she could actually hear it or if it was just a brunch against her. It was growing dark. The crowd stood in front of her cage, peering in it with her strange shyness. 
Rook said, the unicorn, and stepped aside. She heard hearts bounce, tears brewing, and breath going backwards, but nobody said a word. By the sorrow and loss and sweetness in their faces, she knew that they recognized her, and she accepted their hunger at her homage. She thought of the hunter's great-grandmother and wondered what it must be like to grow old and to cry. Most shows, said Rook after a time, would end here. For what could possibly be presented after a genuine unicorn? But Mommy Fortuna's Midnight Carnival holds one more mystery yet. A demon more destructive than the dragon, more monstrous than the manticore, more hideous than the harpy, and certainly more universal than the unicorn. He waved his hand towards the last wagon, and black hangings began to wriggle open, though there were no one pulling it. Behold her, Rook cried. Behold the last, the very end. Behold Ellie. Inside the cage, it was darker than the evening, and cold stirred behind the bars like a live thing. Something moved in the cold, and the unicorn saw Ellie, an old, bony, ragged woman, who crouched in the cage, rocking and warming herself before the fire that was not there. She looked so frail that the weight of the darkness could have crushed her, and so helpless and alone that the watchers should have rushed towards her in pity to free her. Instead, they began to back silently away. For all the world, as though Ellie were stalking them. But she was not even looking at them. She sat in the dark, and creaked a song to herself in his voice that sounded like a saw going through a tree, and like a tree getting ready to fall. What is plucked will grow again. What is slain lives on. What is stolen will remain. What is gone is gone. She doesn't look like much, does she? Ruck asked. But no hero can stand before her. No god can wrestle her down. No magic can keep her out or in. For she's no prisoner of ours. Even while we exhibit her here, she's walking among you, touching and taking. For Ellie is old age. The cold of the cage reached out to the unicorn, and wherever it touched her, she grew lame and feeble. She felt herself withering, loosening, felt her beauty leaving her with her breath. Ugliness swung from her mane, dragged down to her head, stripped her tail, gaunted her body, ate up her coat, and ravaged her mind with remembrance of what she had once been. Somewhere nearby, the harpy made her low, eager sound. But the unicorn would gladly have huddled in the shadow of her bronze wings to hide from this last demon. Ellie's song sawed away at her heart. What is seaborn dies on land, soft is trod upon, what is given burns to hand, what is gone is gone. The show was over. The crowd was steering away. No one alone but in couples or fews and severals. Strangers holding hands. Looking back often to see if Ellie was following. Rook caught plaintively. Won't the gentleman wait to hear the story about the satyr? And sent a sour yowl of laughter chasing their slow flight. Creatures of the night... Brought to light. They struggled through the stiffening air, past the unicorn's cage, and on the way, with Rook's laughter yapping them home, 
and Ellie's still singing. This is an illusion, the unicorn told herself. This is illusion. And somehow raised a heavy head with death to stare deep into the dark of the last cage and see, not old age, but Mommy Fortuna herself, stretching and snickering and clambering to the ground with her old eerie ease. And the unicorn knew then that she had not become mortal and ugly at all, but she did not feel beautiful again. Perhaps that was an illusion too, she thought wearily. I enjoyed that, Mommy Fortuna said to Ruck. I always do. I guess I'm just stage struck at heart. You better check on that damn harpy, Ruck said. I could feel her working loose this time. It was like I was a rope holding her and she was untying me. He shuddered and lowered his voice. Get rid of her, he said hoarsely, before she scatters us across the sky like bloody clouds. She thinks about it all the time. I can feel her thinking about it. Fool, be still, the witch's own voice was fierce with fear. I can turn her in the wind if she escapes, or into snow, or to seven notes of music, but I choose to keep her. No other witch in the world holds a harpy captive, and none ever will. I would keep her if I could do it only by feeding her a piece of your liver every day. Oh, that's nice, Ruck said. He slided away from her. What if she only wanted your liver, he demanded. What would you do then? Feed her yours anyway, said Mommy Fortuna. She wouldn't know the difference. Harpies aren't bright. Alone in the moonlight, the old woman glided from cage to cage, rattling locks and prodding her enchantments as a housewife squeezes melons in the market. When she came to the harpy's cage, the monster made a sound as shrill as a spear and spread the horrid glory of its wings. For a moment, it seemed to the unicorn that the bars of cage began to wriggle and run like rain, but Mommy Fortuna cackled her twiggly fingers and the bars were iron again, and the harpy sank down on his perch, waiting. Not yet, the witch said. Not yet. They stared at each other with the same eyes. Mommy Fortuna said, You're mine. If you kill me, you're mine. The harpy did not move, but a cloud, of put, but a cloud put out the moon. Not yet, Mommy Fortuna said, and she turned towards the unicorn's cage. Well, she said in her sweet, smoky voice. I had you frightened there for a little while, didn't I? She laughed with a sound like snakes hurrying through the mud and strolled closer. Whatever your friend, the magician, may say, she went on. I must have some small art after all. To trick a unicorn into believing herself old and foul takes a certain skill, I'd say. And it is a two-penny spell that holds the dark one prisoner? No other till I, the unicorn replied. Do not boast, old woman. Your death sits in that cage and hears you. Yes. Yes, Mommy Fortuna said calmly. But at least I know where it is. You were out on the road hunting for your own death. She laughed again. And I know where that one is too, but I spared you at finding it. 
and you should be grateful for that. Forgetting where she was, the unicorn pressed forward against the bars. They hurt her, but she did not draw back. The Red Bull, she said. Where can I find the Red Bull? Mommy Fortuna stepped very close to the cage. The Red Bull of King Haggard, she muttered. Oh, so you know the bull. She showed two of her teeth. Well, he'll not have you, she said. You belong to me. The unicorn shook her head. You know better, she answered gently. Free the harpy while there's time and set me free as well. Keep your poor shadows, if you will, but let us go. The witch's stagnant eyes blazed up so savagely bright that a ragged company of luna moths, off a night's revel, fluttered straight into them and sizzled, sizzled into snowy ashes. I quit show business first, she snarled, trudging through eternity, hauling my homemade horrors. Do you think that was my dream when I was young and evil? Do you think I chose this meager magic, sprung of stupidity? Because I never knew true witchery. I played tricks with dogs and monkeys because I cannot touch the grass. But I know the difference. And now, you ask me to give up the sight of you? The presence of your power? I told Rook I'd feed his liver to the harpy if I had to. And so I would. And to keep you, I'd take your friend Smendrick, and I'd... She raised herself to gibberish, and it lasted silence. Speaking of livers, the unicorn said. Real magic can never be made by offering up someone else's liver. You must tear out your own and not expect to get it back. The true witches know that. A few grains of sand rustled down Mommy Fortuna's cheek as she stared at the unicorn. All witches weep like that. She turned and walked swiftly towards her wagon. But suddenly, she turned again and grinned her rubby grin. But I tricked you twice, anyway, she said. Do you really think those gogglers knew you for yourself without any help from me? No. I had to give you an aspect they could understand, a horn they could see. These days, it takes a cheap carnival witch to make folk recognize a real unicorn. You'd do much better to stay here with me and be false. For in this whole world, only the Red Bull know you when he sees you. She disappeared into her wagon, and the harpy let the moon come out again. Thank you. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Bye. I love you.